May the Lord bless you all, brothers and sisters, pastors, families, the family of the Lord, the church, and all of its locations around the world, and all of those countries where God has allowed for a soul to arrive there to preach the gospel, and that a soul may be saved and be congregating and honoring and worshiping our God. How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is to make known the name of our God. To make known that God exists. Therefore, we give the glory and the honor to our God. You may be seated. You may find your seats wherever you are. And our hearts are joyful our spirit is rejoicing in these moments, dedicating ourselves to our Lord, dedicating ourselves to the reading of the word, the reflection to the teaching that God has allowed to remain here written in the Bible, a marvelous book like no other. That is unique, where only a small portion speaks of God and it is written. But God enlarges it with the power of His Holy Spirit, and God brings to life each verse, each letter, each sentence. God brings it to life in our lives, in our hearts. And therefore, that our soul may rejoice in the Lord. And we give thanks to the Lord for the privilege that He gives us. That He has looked upon us, He has chosen us, and He has us in His presence. Thanks be to our God because He listens to our prayers. He listens to when we cry out to Him. He knows our steps. He knows when we come in, when we go out, and all of our thoughts. We give thanks to our God because He teaches us, because He guides us, and He has sent His Holy Spirit to be with us, comforting us. The glory and the honor be for Him forever. God lives, and therefore He deserves to be praised, worshipped, and honored in spirit and in truth. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Therefore, welcome all. Welcome those who are here for the first time. Welcome those who are new. We hope that you join us in this wonderful work, the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with all of the joy and all of the happiness in our being, let us open up to Hebrews chapter 10. As I said last week, we are reading all of the book of Hebrews, even though during the pandemic we saw the book of Hebrews. But repeating doesn't do any harm. On the contrary, we reinforce our knowledge and we become teachers of the word of the Lord. How beautiful is that? And we're very proud of being teachers of the Word of God. Therefore, today in Hebrews chapter 10, 
Well, there are 39 verses. Hopefully, we don't run out of time. But either way, we are going to delight ourselves because it is the topic that continues from what we have been reading because Hebrews from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, which is the end of Hebrews, it's all about the same topic. Speaking of the godliness, the importance, the personality, the value of our Lord Jesus Christ as child of God, as the divine shepherd, as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one that forgives sins, as the one that made his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary in order to save people, in order to save those who want to believe in him and that want to have eternal life and to enjoy in the Lord. Hebrews speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main topic. Therefore, today we will continue speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. We said he was that tabernacle, that he was the high priest, that he was the prophet. And today we are going to continue with that sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary, where the apostle speaks to us about what the Lord did, why he did it, what was it for, and how it serves us nowadays, that marvelous sacrifice on the cross of Calvary of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very well, we are going to begin here. Here in chapter 9, verse 23, we go back. It says that it was necessary... Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. We were reading and we saw last week that all of the symbols, all of the objects that the tabernacle contained was a symbol of what was to come in the future with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that all of this, although it was a symbol, it was a sort of symbol, it needed to be purified with the blood of the sacrifices of the animals. And it says here that if those physical things, which were a symbol of the future, they were purified with even more reason... That which is heavenly, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, behaving as a person on earth, preaching and teaching the law of Moses, practicing the law of Moses, and also beginning to teach the kingdom of heaven or the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these heavenly things needed to be purified as well with blood the followers of the Lord. And that is what happened on the cross of Calvary with the sacrifice that he made. It says that he shed his blood and with that blood, he purified and cleansed all of those who would believe in him from then on. And we today have been covered with this great blessing of being purified with the blood of the Lord. It is something spiritual because everything is spiritual. Before it was material, but now everything is spiritual. That is why it says that the Lord entered that sanctuary made by hand, that he didn't go 
into a sanctuary made by hand, but that he entered a spiritual one. That is why we speak of that tabernacle that symbolized today's tabernacle, which is a spiritual one, because the tabernacle or the temple or the sanctuary of the Lord nowadays is the heart of a being that loves, that believes in God and wants to obey and please the Lord in everything. Therefore, we are going to begin in chapter 10, where he continues. He continues with this teaching, highlighting the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and highlighting that in antiquity, God had to do all of these physical material things in order to replace and also give that symbol, that likeness of the physical and the material with the spiritual, which is what we're living nowadays with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 10, verse 1 of Hebrews says, For the law, speaking of referring to the law of Moses, for the law, having a shadow, saying, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. He's saying here that the law of Moses did not have the image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those approach perfect saying that the law of moses could never even with the sacrificing of animals or the shedding of blood and even if the high priest every year would sprinkle the people with blood for the forgiveness of sins it says here that not even with any of that could things have been done perfect it never made anyone perfect before god in verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Here, the Apostle Paul was trying to explain that at that time, there were people who would oppose the teaching and they did not want to believe that the law of Moses had ceased, that the sacrifices of animals have ceased, that the services that were done in the physical temple had ceased. They did not want to accept. That is why he says that if those sacrifices and everything that was being done at that time had perfected or had cleansed someone in their consciousness of their sins and people would have begun to live a holy and perfect life before the Lord, then they wouldn't have had a need for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to do that wondrous work that man could not do, that humans could not do. And so he says that the Lord, what he did would have been in vain. But since nothing was perfect, since no one was able to fulfill the law of Moses, that is why the Lord Jesus had to do this sacrifice, this ministry, this work, this purpose of the Lord in order to come and to become man and to become a human being in order to be with humans, live among the human beings and to fulfill the project that God had from before the foundation of the earth. And in verse number three, it says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ said through the prophets 
and in this case, through King David, saying, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. That is what the Lord would tell the Father. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. In other words, everything that the law of Moses practiced. But a body you have prepared for me is what the Son of God told the Father. You did not want the sacrifices and the offerings that the people would do every year or the high priest would do every year. You did not want it. That is why you prepared for me a body. That is why you wanted to turn into a human being and to take flesh like a human and to become a human being in order to do that wondrous work. Verse 6 says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. And then it says, To do your will, O God. So, it says that the Son of God, the Word of God, what John speaks of in the Gospel according to John in chapter 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a great mystery. The Father, working as the Son as well, the Son of God, joined with the Father. And the Son is speaking to the Father, saying, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Because you gave me a body, you made me as a human being. A great mystery that is difficult to believe to all of those people who are unbelievers, those who do not believe in God. And cannot accept Jesus Christ as God. But for God, there is nothing impossible. And since there is nothing impossible for Him, we do believe. Not that there are three different gods, or that there is a one God who has three heads. No. One God. But you see that that one God works. Works and humbling himself, we could say it this way, in order to manifest himself to human beings. Who is a human being? We are just a flower or a butterfly or a worm. That is a human being. And God humbled himself and prepared a body to present himself to man, to become a human being. Blessed is the name of the Lord. A great mystery, but that is what occurred. And the Lord says, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. In other words, the word of God in the books of Moses, in the books of the prophets, it was written. The promises that would come in the future, promises that said that the Lord would come, that the Messiah would come, the Savior, that the desired one would come. That angel of the Lord that was with the people in antiquity that would turn into a human being and would come to the world. The Savior, the perfect King to save, to fulfill the law, to teach man, and also to save people that want to believe in Him, that believe in Him, and that want 
to be happy in eternal life. So here, the Lord, what a marvel, the Lord speaking to him, saying, you prepared my body because none of what the man did, what the people of Israel in so many thousands of years, everything they did, you did not want. And that is why the Lord offered himself. And in verse 8, it says, Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law of Moses. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first. What was the first? He takes away the first. He takes away the law of Moses. He takes away that method of salvation. Why was it a method of salvation? Because God gave the laws and gave the ordinances and many laws to Moses and told Moses, teach the people that all of those who fulfill, who do the word according to how I've said it, then they will have eternal life. They will live. They will live eternally. That was the first testament, the first covenant, the first method of salvation. To complete all of the law of Moses without leaving anything unfinished. But these things never occurred, never. Humans could not fulfill it. And that is why the Lord here tells the Father, take it away first, that he may establish the second, the second, the last method of salvation, the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as God and as the Savior, as the only way that leads to eternal life, these will be the ones who will be saved, those who will have eternal life, because that is the new method of salvation. And I repeat, that the Lord would tell the Father, take away the law of Moses first, because that method of salvation did not work, and we will establish the last. The one that I am going to do, beginning from the cross of Calvary, by sacrificing myself, shedding blood to save people. Verse 10 says, By that will we have been sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. That will is the will of God, the will of the Son, that took away the first in order to establish the second, the second method of salvation, and the last one. And he says that we are sanctified through the offering, because the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself as a living offering, a living sacrifice in order to be able to carry out that marvelous plan of salvation. And we give thanks to the Lord for this. And he says that this offering, he offered himself, his own body, he offered it. He only did it once for all. 
11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Here he is pointing out those who at that time continued believing and continued to practice all that concerned the law of Moses. And the apostle says, And sins will never be taken away, and there is never any results because people continue in their sinful state, and there is no forgiveness, there is no cleansing, there is no salvation. In verse 12 it says, But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He did achieve it. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Who were his enemies then? What happened? The Lord Jesus Christ came. He offered himself. He made that sacrifice. He was the living sacrifice, the living offering. He annulled a method of salvation and the other began and the last one. And yet no one believed him. His own people of his own town, of his own lineage, did not believe him, did not accept him. They casted him aside. And that is why he says that they became his enemies. They became his enemies, the enemies of God, the enemies of the Savior, of the Messiah. His own people, his own brothers, which they call themselves to be Jews or followers of the law of Moses at that time. Therefore, they did not believe him. They casted him aside. They turned him in to the Gentiles. They did many things with him. And they turned into his enemies. They are his enemies. So that is why here in verse 13, it says, From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Because the Lord spoke it in Psalm 110, verse 1. Well, let us read very quickly Psalm 110, verse 1. Where we find the prophecy written. about the enemies of the Lord. In Psalm 110, without losing Hebrews, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Here there was a witness that was seeing a vision or a revelation, and this witness was King David. He was seeing a vision, and he saw that the Lord the Messiah, the Savior, addressed the Father. Since the Father had given him a body, a human body, so he addresses the Father. And that is why King David was seeing, being a witness, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, at my right side, 
till I make your enemies your footstool. Many people, they might have asked themselves who were the enemies of the Lord. Someone said, well, the enemies of the Lord are those who do not believe in the gospel. No, perhaps not. Maybe, maybe not. But they weren't. They weren't the enemies. His enemies, we are going to go back to Hebrews in verse 13. It says that from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And that is how it has been since then. Up until now, the people or those who say that are going to live or are living by the law of Moses or that that is the only way that leads to eternal life, they have become the enemies of the Lord by not accepting the God of glory, by not believing in God and that marvelous plan that is written across the entire Bible. Because if we begin to read the first five books of Moses and we begin to read the books of the kings and judges and chronicles, and we also read the book of the prophets, there we find all the ways in which God began to develop his plan with all of the people all of the lives that we see, the historical moments of the lives of the people, God working, doing his wondrous work, showing people, showing the world that God is power. He lives, he exists, and he has been here doing a wonderful plan. And he continues to do so up until today because he wants to take us to eternal life, to make us happy, to give us happiness. Glory be to God. And so that is the fight. That is the fight that has been between man and God, a constant fight. Those who are unbelievers, those who belittled him, and those who became his enemies, who were his own people, the people that called themselves the people of God. Speaking of antiquity 2,000 years ago. So here... The Lord here in verse 14 says, For by one offering, the Lord Jesus Christ has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Glory be to our God. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. It says here in verse 15, he says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us and confirms. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. We read that part in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, where he says that the Holy Spirit, through the mouths of the prophets, spoke about the future and said, I will make a new covenant after those days. What days? After those days, referring to the destruction of the people of Israel as the people of God, when they were destroyed, when Jerusalem was destroyed, when God destroyed everything and annulled the law of Moses. After those days, he says, I will place, the Lord says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, because it's the mind and the heart that are the same of 
the beings that believe in him. I will write my laws. Glory be to the Lord. So that is why today the law of the Lord is written in our heart. And the mind, the mind is that concept and that knowledge that we have of his word, of his ways, of his personality. God himself, as God, we have that knowledge of him because we have lived many different experiences with him. And that is why we believe and that is why we are learning. And each day we progress more in that knowledge about the Lord. And that is where these promises are fulfilled when it says through the prophets, through prophet Jeremiah specifically, he says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That is what the Lord does with his children, with those who convert to him, those who have converted to him, those who follow him with sincerity with love, with honor, with honesty, believing in Him, following His way, doing the will of God, pleasing God in everything. So you see these beautiful promises. He says that He will no longer remember the sins that we had committed at some point. That He no longer remembers them because He forgave us. But he is expecting from us to follow that perfect path in holiness, living in holiness. And it can be achieved because this is not impossible. It's not difficult because it is God himself who helps us to achieve these things. He helps us. The Holy Spirit is the one who is teaching us every day. He is correcting us. He is controlling us. He is teaching us. He is guiding us. He is directing us. He is the one who is taking charge of the church of all the hearts of people. So it is God fulfilling these promises said by the prophets in antiquity. And the Lord Jesus Christ, at the same time, made this wondrous work. And that is why when the Lord Jesus Christ needed to go to heaven to ascend, he told his apostles, he told them, I am not going to leave without giving you a gift. I am not going to leave you alone. I am not going to abandon you. I am leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. He will be with you forever, every day. And he's going to teach you and guide you. Glory be to God. He will comfort you. And that is what we today are preaching because we are living these marvels of God. Living and experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, in our hearts, when he teaches us to be honest and righteous before God and before humans, also before our fellow peers. Honesty, righteousness, sincerity, perfection, loyalty, well, so many things. That is what the wondrous work of that new method of salvation does the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful is our God. And here in verse 18 says, Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin, saying that the Lord forgave 
the sins of those followers, his children, the church, his believers, only he knows who they are. And he does not remember the sins of those believers because they are now living a righteous life before the Lord. And one day they will be with him. And in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, which we spoke about last week, that in that physical temple, there was the most holy place where no one was able to go in except for the high priest once a year. But it says here that in this most holy place, after the Lord Jesus Christ made his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, he gave way for the holiest, the most holy place where God would speak to a human being. That is what the most holy place was to the high priest he would speak to. But at that time, God did not have a fellowship with people. He would only speak through the prophets or the high priest once a year. But the Lord Jesus Christ, with his sacrifice that he did on the cross of Calvary, that he gave an opportunity for all of us to be able to speak to God, to be able to address ourselves to God, and that our God would address to us. He speaks to us, makes us promises, blesses us, delivers us, heals us, comforts us, and the Lord is there speaking to us, and we are also able to speak to the Lord many things, express what is in our heart, what is in our soul, to pour all of our heart before his presence. The Lord Jesus Christ did that miracle of giving us that freedom to be able to have fellowship with God. Because before there was no fellowship with God, human beings were not able to do this. They would always go to a prophet or the priest in order for them to communicate with God and to give a blessing to the people. So now he says that the Lord Jesus Christ gave way through his blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So when he was sacrificed on the cross, it says that when he was pierced by this spear, by these nails that through his flesh, he tore that veil that would block people from entering the most holy place because that was symbolizing the spiritual and that veil was his flesh that died. But thanks be to our God, he resurrected on the third day again. And in, in verse 21 says, and having a high priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near. We have now an entrance to that most holy place. That veil has been torn. And that high priest has allowed for us to be able to enjoy of being in the house of God or being the house of God or being the tabernacle of God to have that fellowship with the Lord. And so it says in verse 22, having all of these blessings that we did not deserve, but he still gave to us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he invites us that we may 
draw near that we may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the only way, as the only high priest, as that being that took away that veil and allowed for human beings that any person, man or woman, can have a fellowship with God, can speak to God and enjoy of his blessings. But here he is saying that we must have a sincere heart, that we must have faith, truly believe, and that our bad conscience of what we were in antiquity, that that may not even be named, that we cannot relive, but that we must be pure and clean in the presence of our God in all of our daily lives. That is what the Lord wants, that we may live a clean life daily. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Good works. In other words, do not commit sin. Do not commit sin. Do not do what is evil. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. So, at that time, where the Holy Spirit would manifest itself, everyone received the spiritual gifts. So there was a moment in which people thought that it was no longer necessary to congregate themselves since they were all temples of God. They said, well, we're all temples of God now. We are all the house of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is now the high priest. So we no longer have to go to any place to congregate because each one of us are in our own home. There we can do our service and we worship and glorify God. Surely that could have happened at that time. And the apostles said, no, that it was very necessary to congregate. It was necessary to congregate. To congregate because this way we can work the spiritual gifts. Because if someone receives the gift of laying on of hands, the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy, and they are at their house and who are they going to share their gifts with? Only the people in their house? And if they all don't believe? If there's only one or two that believe, then to just that one person, how are they going to win over souls? How are they going to evangelize and win over souls for the Lord? And how is the name of the Lord praised and glorified by the congregation if in the Psalms, in one of the Psalms it says, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will praise you in the assembly of saints. The Lord tells the Father. He makes that promise. He says, I am going to praise you. I am going to glorify you and exalt you in the assembly of saints. When we are all congregated as a church, I'm going to be there to worship you. And if people do not congregate, then how were these promises going to be fulfilled? So, that is why he said that they needed to congregate. Why? To lay hands, to work the spiritual gifts, so that when people would come for the first time to church, those who are there congregated, since they have the spiritual gifts, 
They can lay hands on those who are new, those people who are coming. They receive prophecy. God speaks to them and the person begins to know God. They begin to understand and comprehend that God exists and that God does manifest himself and that there is truly a powerful God. So people convert and they come and they convert and then the church of the Lord is formed. That is why it's so important to congregate. That is why it's so important to congregate. It isn't useful for you to go and live in a mountain, in a cave, because that way you won't commit sin. You won't commit sin, so you're going to live in a cave because that way you have no contact with anyone, so you won't sin. No, that is not doing anything. You need to face life. You need to face in society, to live in a community, to to confront and face all of the temptations and everything that the devil does and everything that the world offers, you can face it, confront it, fight it, and have the power to say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to practice this. I want to live a righteous life, the way of the Lord. I want to be an example. I want to be light for others. I want to be a good testimony for all. That is what that is. That is what God wants. So, when he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, by saying exhorting or teaching or speaking of the doctrine, because each person is going to have a revelation. Each person will have word of God for others. Therefore, that is about congregation. Hear this verse, verse 25, about congregation. I don't know why. Uh, the apostle mentions it. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his godliness, about the work that he did. And he tells people, he tells the believer, why have you stopped congregating? You cannot stop congregating. It is true that the house of God is the heart of a human. It is true that the tabernacle of the Lord is... Our heart, that is also a tabernacle. Yes, it's true. But we must congregate in order for the spiritual gifts to work. Glory be to the Lord. In verse 26, for if we sin willfully, well, here is a different topic. Here, the apostle brings up a very different topic when he says, for if we sin willfully, I had spoken about the children of God that the children of God, the Lord has forgotten their sins because he has forgiven them because they live in holiness. Everyone lives in holiness. They have converted because they are congregating because they have the spiritual gifts, prophecy, discernment, casting away demons, casting away witchcraft or evil spirits, the gift of healing, the gift of interpreting tongues, the gift of tongues, all of those spiritual gifts that is within the congregation, all seeking God, walking the righteous path. But it turns out that the enemy came to place traps for some. He has come to place traps for some in order to take them out of the congregation, to take them out of that path of salvation that leads to eternal life and the devil comes to destroy the spiritual lives in this manner. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So if we go back 
and we sin after receiving the spiritual things, after having the spiritual gifts and the Lord has spoken to us, made us promises, fulfilled them and has shown them time and time again that he exists, that his power is within us, that we have the gifts and the blessings. Then the enemy comes and places traps in the way and some, many, fall in that trap and they fall and turn back to sin. He says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins from our Lord Jesus Christ for these people that went back, that are going back and are going to turn back. Be careful with this. He says in verse 27, what awaits these people after having enjoyed the spiritual things of having enjoyed the presence of God? What awaits them? It says in verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone, so he gives an example in verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses's law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. It was a death penalty. Those who rejected Moses's law, they had a death penalty. How will it be for those who violate the law, the word, the name, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? What would their punishment be? It says in verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? In other words, they belittle and they step underfoot the Son of God, the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary, and they count the blood of the covenant as a common thing, and that they insult the Spirit of grace because we have spoken that the person had already experienced all of the spiritual gifts, the work of the Holy Spirit, blessings from God, promises of God, all of these things. And it says here, what awaits them? So it says in verse 30, it says, for we know him. There's a verse that says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. He will judge his people, because they were in God's presence, enjoying of all of the marvelous things of God, living a holy and righteous life, and suddenly allow themselves to be overcome by the enemy, by their flesh, by the world, by the attractions, by the pleasures. And then they fell, they turned back, they turned back to sin once again. Speaking about a horrendous, punishment and there's no longer forgiveness of sin it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god it is a fearful thing a horrendous thing to become the enemy of god because here are other enemies of god those who are walking in god's path and enjoying of all of the wondrous works of the holy spirit and its gifts god's plan 
and they fall back, they turn back and they continue to sin and they begin to sin once again, they turn in to God's enemy. And that is very hard and very sad. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Here he is saying, remember that you suffered persecution, tribulations. You suffered many things because of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, because of following the way of the Lord. But remember that you were also sacrificed. You suffered. So now why do you get to this point where the devil comes, places a trap, a difficulty, and you fall for it? You fall for this trap of the enemy and lose all of your blessings and everything that you achieved during that time in the midst of so much sacrifice, so much persecution, so much torment, and you fall so easily in the enemy's trap so that the work of God dissolve in your spiritual lives and you no longer have anything at the end so you fall in the hands of punishment of the Lord so why don't you analyze this situation before going to let your flesh loose or going to the temptation of the enemy and the traps that he places. So we must be wise and intelligent and we must analyze, analyze and reflect upon the promises of the Lord, what we have received from God. That way we become strong and tell the enemy, no, I do not want to fall back. I do not want to turn back. I want to continue following the path, continuing in the path of my God. That is the best thing. So that is what he says we ought to do, to reflect. Every person needs to reflect before they make this big mistake of turning back. And here in verse 34, he says, For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. So he is reminding them of all of the suffering that they had to endure and after going through all of those tests having overcome them and they continue to press on in God's path but the moment comes where the devil places these traps and steals all of their blessings that cannot be possible as we see brothers and sisters and those who are listening this happened in antiquity with the church, those believers of that time, but it still happens with us today. Today, this happens as well. It's the same. It's the same thing. So many people, many people are not able to follow the path. They make it to their 5, 10, or 15-year mark of being in the church congregating, and then they turn back. They turn back because they get tired. They got tired of worshiping God, of following God. They got tired of listening to God's promises. They got tired of the blessings from God. They got tired of the peace and happiness that God gives. And they want to experience things in the world and seek sadness and bitterness. They want to seek many sad things that you see in the world. So the same thing happens today. 
That is why for today, we ought to reflect and always remember all of the wonders that we have lived in the path of the Lord. Let us remember, let us analyze the promises, and let us also compare what is better to live in the world or to live in the path of the Lord, where we have peace and certainty, where we have joy and God gives us that happiness and protects us. We have a refuge. We have where to go and hide in the moments of sadness, of tribulation, of illness, in moments of scarcity, in the difficult moments of life. We have a refuge, a place to go. He is our God. He is our comfort. So in the world, who is going to comfort you? No one. Because the enemy, the devil comes and says, take your life. Take your life because you're useless. You are no one. That is what the enemy does. Destroy you. Destroy your physical life, your physical being, and also destroy your spiritual life and your soul as well. So we must be wise and intelligent. We must proceed with intelligence and wisdom and let us know we must choose the path. And we have chosen this beautiful path with the Lord, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let us press on. Let us never get tired. Let us continue. Why must we get tired? Do not pay attention to everything the enemy says in your ear. To everything that you dream or everything that you see, your friends, what they tell you, you continue your path in the Lord because God is the one who gives true happiness and true joy and one day will give eternal life. So it says here in verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, endurance. It says that we need to have endurance and to press on and to have endurance. It says, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just will live by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ as son of God, as savior and the only way that leads to eternal life. The just shall live by faith eternally because of this belief. It says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Glory be to our God. We must continue. We must press on. We must ask the Lord for strength, saying to the Lord, Lord, help me. He comes and is against me and the enemy makes me see everything, the opposite, everything that I hope in you. He makes me see everything the opposite and he discourages me. And you can pray to the Lord and ask him to help you so that you may press on, so that you may never draw back, that you may never lose these wondrous blessings that God has placed in this new method of salvation, in this life to have peace with God, to have happiness, to have someone who comforts us, who dries our tears, and then to have eternal life after death. Therefore, 
That is the invitation that you may trust and believe in God. He exists. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the way that leads to eternal life. Read the Bible and we are going to press on. We are going to pray to our Lord. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Father, for these blessings that you have given us. These blessings that you have sent to human beings, to those people who believed in you, who have believed, who believe and will believe, and you sent many blessings for them. And we are here before your presence, and we also consider to be part of that group. We belong to that group of the privileged ones, of people who have the opportunity to know your ways, to know your word, your law, your doctrine. Thank you, Lord, because we are here before you. And each day we learn because you teach us. You guide us. You correct us. You are manifesting yourself in the life of each person. In one way or another, you manifest yourself to each person, you give a new experience, a different experience. With each person, you manifest yourself in a different way. But we are joyful. We become joyful when we hear the testimonies of people, when you work miracles in their lives, the happiness and the joy and the comfort that you give them, how you solve problems for many different people, and we become very joyful and happy. We are filled with optimism, with hope, knowing, Lord, that we also can receive at any moment your blessings, having your mercy with us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you thanks, O Lord. I ask that you help us to press on, to give us new strength, to give us hope and happiness, wisdom and intelligence to follow your path. Do not allow for the enemy to come and steal spiritual lives, to destroy them or to steal their peace or to steal and destroy souls. Do not allow it, Father, that all of those who have known your way continue until the end. And also in this moment, Heavenly Father, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, I ask for those who are sick, those who are sick, many are sick, hospitalized, and others are in their home, in bed, and they're very ill. Some are in intensive care. Others have many surgical procedures to be done. I ask that you extend your powerful hands. There are many brothers and sisters of the congregation that are sick. I ask you for them, that you may extend your powerful hands and healing them and giving them opportunities to live so that they may fulfill with that plan that you have with them, those promises that you have made them and they have not been able to fulfill. Lord, we hope in you to allow them to live, to work in your vineyard, to serve you and to win souls for you. Heavenly Father, extend your healing hand, your powerful hand, Work miracles and signs in each one of the brothers and sisters who are sick. And also all of those people who still have not come to the church, but have their family in the church, and they ask for the sick. They ask you, listen to them, listen to them and have mercy, my Lord, of all of them. 
Blessed Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, I ask you. Thank you, my Father, for listening to us. Thank you, Lord, because you always make our heart happy. Thank you, my Father. We praise you, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor and praise forever and ever. Glory be to God. Thank you, Holy Father. Blessed is your name forever. Jesús está aquí, pide lo que quieras. Jesús está aquí, pide lo que quieras. Él tiene poder, Él te lo dará. Jesús está aquí, hermano, pide lo que quieras. Jesús está aquí, pide lo que quieras. Jesús está aquí, pide lo que quieras, Él tiene poder, Él te lo dará. Jesús está aquí, hermano, pide lo que quieras. Glory be to our God. Thank you. Beloved brothers and sisters, all of those who are here for the first time, those who are new, I love you with all of my heart. See you soon. A big hug for all of you and also for the children. The kiss that I always give them. May my Lord bless you all. Thank you very much.